Hello, friends. Today on the Squadcast, Peter and I sit down with Barnabas Piper. Barnabas is an author, a podcaster, and an assistant pastor at Emmanuel Nashville in Nashville, Tennessee. But most notably for our audience, he was the chaplain at our recent Blast Winter Camp for college and career age young adults. That program takes place over the new year. So the conversation you're about to hear was recorded in front of the fire in Hemlock Hall. So you'll even hear some of the crackles and pops from the fireplace over the course of the conversation. Now, during Blast, Barnabas spoke on the theology of friendship, and over the next few weeks, we'll be releasing his four chapel messages for you to hear. They were really insightful, and the purpose of this episode is just to introduce you to Barnabas and lay the foundation for the chapel messages that you will hear in the coming weeks. Before we dive in, I just want to note that we are in the thick of recruiting season here at Camp Susqua. So everyone knows, of course, we are a youth summer camp, but we run thanks to the hard work put in by our incredible staff. So if you are a young adult or you know a young adult that would like to serve for anywhere from five weeks to 15 weeks this summer at Camp Susqua, we would invite you to visit our website at susqua.org apply and consider joining our team this summer. I'm really thankful to Barnabas for sitting down and chatting with us, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation as well. Well, we are here in front of a campfire in Hemlock Hall, the way we like to be. And uh, we have Barnabas Piper on to join us. Thank you for chatting by the fire with us. Yeah, I feel very, feel very FDR-like on some fireside chats. Yeah, we get compared to historic presidents all the time. So Warren G. Harding, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Howard Taft, occasionally. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's worse presidents to be compared to, so I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, which ones? Which one's your least favorite? Least favorite president? I don't know if I want to be on record giving my least favorite. <laughs> I did president. not mean to go political. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I was thinking of historical where people wouldn't have strong feelings. So okay, we'll avoid that question. Well, yeah, but I don't want to bring up George Washington in this context. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, if all goes according to plan, we're going to be releasing some recordings from your chapels. We're here actually during. During Blast over the new year, 2023. So we thought we'd use this chance to introduce you to the Susqua community uh, and our many, many listeners. So now we should probably explain what Blast is to all of those from outside the Susqua circle. Also, this is Peter Swift joining David Vest and Barnabas is that like Piper a today. Susquerkle, as long as we're Susquerkle. Well, as long as we're on the Susquadcast, yeah, yeah. You, you're picking this up pretty easily. Getting it. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning. But Blast is our college-age winter camp. Uh, this is the 53rd, 54th year that we've run Blast. Uh, You've been here for all of them. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really impressive. Such a streak. Yeah. I wasn't always college-age for all of them, but yeah, it's, 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 it's impressive. We have four winter camps. We start off the year with, or start off, end the year with 
Freeze, which is our high school winter camp. Then we jump right into Blast. And then we follow that up with our elementary school winter camp called Chill next week. And then the following week is Frost, which is our middle school winter camp. And then Thaw. We used to have Thaw. It was kind of a... <laughs> you I say it I, in I jest. thought I was <laughs> kidding. There's, there's, uh, Davis likes to point out there's no new ideas here. When you've been around for 75 years, there's right. no new ideas. Uh, the most recent iteration of Thaw was like Blast Level 2. It was uh, college students being brought back for another short weekend in the spring. Uh, it didn't last very long. It wasn't, wasn't a big hit. Uh, though the most interesting about our winter camps, I think, is Chill, which is for our youngest kids, used to be... The name of the the name of the adult age. like singles retreat. That's not that, that's a, not singles retreat. The adult retreat. Um, but that it turns out that we were much better really at serving. Hard not youth. to make a Netflix and joke about <laughs> adult singles. Well, good, good job avoiding it. Yep, Arthur's well done. I did it. <laughs> well, you would think that we might go harder into the singles ministry since uh, historically. When singles that are connected to Camp Susquehanna get married, that often leads to job security for us. When they That's right. Make some future campers. Kids. Yep. Very helpful. But so, Barnabas, can we ask you, who are you? <laughs> you can. Yeah. Well, I'd be happy to answer that question. Um, that, that's the critical part. It's what they can ask. But we, we need to be assured that we're going to get an answer to Yes. You. I will also answer it and truthfully to the best of my ability. Um so I'm. Uh, I live in Nashville. I'm an assistant pastor at a church called Emmanuel. There, uh, have been on staff at Emmanuel for just over three years. Been at the church for just over five years, about five and a half years, and got connected with you guys. What would that have been? 2021. Uh, I got yeah. a random email from. I don't remember which one. I think it was you. Yeah, uh, it was me. Yes, that doesn't help on an audio medium to say you and point you, David. <laughs> um, inviting me to come speak at a youth summit. And so then I promptly Googled the camp. It was after every other available speaker turned us down. Yeah. But I mean, we, yeah. It was, that was a tough year. We, we look, said be, time to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Being and, a fallback option is a good gig if you can get it. All right. Uh, it's very low pressure and occasionally opportunities come up. So I, I promptly Googled the camp because I was like, camp word I can't pronounce. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. Is this a cult? What is this? Um, and I didn't see anything overly weird on your website. It was, you know, needed a little bit of a refresher. I understand that's happening soon. Um, but uh, but I was like, okay, belief systems look biblical. Uh, I've been around for a long time, which again, could be a cult, but also this isn't some sort of weird new thing. And then I think I think, Peter, you got in touch and sort of mentioned some of the other people you had partnered with and some of the churches who would be there. And I looked at them. I was like, okay, these are these are good, Jesus-loving people who've been doing faithful work for a long time. So, And I uh, came up here, really enjoyed being at Blast and seeing just a glimpse of kind of the, the culture here and the ministry here and hearing some of the history, which you guys are obviously uh, really invested in. But yeah, just a little bit more about me. I've, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, my dad is a pastor there named John Piper, who some people may have heard of. That's probably why I got invited in the first place. That's generally my assumption is most good things that happen in my ministry life because somebody's like, ah, let's throw that kid a bone. <laughs> and I'm married to Lauren. I have two daughters named Grace and Diane who are 17 and almost 14, respectively. Uh, so it's, it's fun being here speaking to middle school, high school, and now college students because there's 
that is the age of my kids. And so there's a real distinct, just sort of a, an understanding of the, 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 the formativeness and how important it is to have somebody who's not a parent pouring into kids. So I love it when my kids get mm. to hear truth from people who aren't me because they listen way better. We were yeah. just talking about that before the podcast started, Peter. And, uh, yeah, there's just, it's, it's a cool opportunity to be at camp because kids hear better. So fun to be part of all that. I think that's really true. And that's one of the like get, getting kids away from what they're used to and an environment with people they don't know. It, it's not new truths that they're hearing. They've yep. heard these things. If they've come through churches and if their it's families. it's a new truth, you are a weird camp. So <laughs> right, right. Just clarified that. Yeah, but they're, uh, but they're hearing these things and, and it's weird how it'll stick here where it doesn't in other places, um, which I think is a real, you know, a, a good, real good reason and testimony to send, send your kids to camp. Not, not necessarily Camp Susquehanna, but to Christian camps. I think that's a way to um, make these truths have lasting impact. Uh, but Barnes, on that topic, I know you grew up in, in going to camp and Christian camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, other than what we just stated about the benefits mm-hmm. of it, can you just talk about some of that experience and, uh, why you like it and why Camp Susquehanna is the best one you've ever been to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the exact right way to frame that question. Uh, so I grew up uh, I grew up in a in a church that was part of a denomination at the time called the Baptist General Conference, and so a lot of what we did camp wise was denominationally based. So there's a strong presence in the North Midwest, Minnesota. So I went to a camp called uh, Trout Lake Camp. Um, almost called it Trout Run Camp, but that's getting that's, confused with your present location. Where we are. Um, so, Trout Lake Camp, which is northern Minnesota, um, went there two or three times. And then we also used that facility all the time for church retreats and things like that. So, our church, which was located right in downtown Minneapolis, had a pretty vibrant student ministry, middle school and high school, and, uh, and a really invested, wonderful pair of youth ministers who planned awesome retreats. So, we did we did. We did camps that way as well. And then another camp called Mink Lake Camp, which was even further north. And it's it was designed to be a wilderness camp. So military tents and like the, the only building that was actual structure was uh, was the dining hall. And then other than that, it was just tents and outside for everything. And um, <clears throat> so, you, you know, you guys provide some of that here as well. That's the one I remember liking the most. Uh, I, was, yeah, I think I was a little bit older than maybe eighth grade, something like that. Uh, the Trout Lake I went to as a younger kid and had some really great experiences and then some really challenging ones, you know, homesickness and things. But uh, the the things that stand out most to me were actually the church-based retreats and camps. So when we went and, and were hosted and used those, because again, just be yeah, being in that that unfamiliar environment, the the focus of it, the opportunity for different kinds of conversations, different kinds of fellowship, uh, to have more intentional time with youth leaders. Um, we had, we had some great leaders, uh, who basically functioned as counselors in those contexts. And in the church context, you get a little bit of time with them each week. And it's usually kind of in the, the chaos of like, we're rushing into the youth room, there's teaching, there's a little bit of small group time. And then you, then you roll out and you gotta, everybody goes their own way in a camp. It's just three straight days, four straight days, whatever it was of, of invested time. And they really poured into us and, and have struck that balance of being really fun uh, and, and giving, you know, genuine discipleship for me, because of the nature of those camps, we didn't see as many sort of people coming to faith just because it was, it was, it was a different sort of church context, but a lot of, a lot of confession, a lot of repentance, a lot of people realizing areas in their life they needed to give to the Lord. And I think again, that concentration, uh, of, of focused time allowed for that. 
um, at the at the bigger camps that we would see a lot more people who just that was they might have grown up in church, but this was the first time they realized, oh, I'm not I'm not following Christ. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And I don't I, similar to what you guys do here. I don't remember a lot of weird, manipulative kind of altar callie stuff where they're trying to right. you, they were trying to generate the the emotional thing as much as just a basic invitation to afterwards if you'd like to come pray with one of the leaders and so a guy would you know kind of disappear from our cabin group and then come back later and our leader would be like hey you know so and so anything you want to share with us and like yeah i gave my life to the lord tonight and it was sort of this cabin celebration kind of thing mm-hmm. so those were those were cool moments that's really cool and i think that is i think it's important and it's that's rare in camping ministry i think to find camps that don't focus so heavily on counting conversions and yeah. like that's that's your that's your litmus test for success how many people were baptized this week how many people gave their we actually like, and this is a testimony I think to the leadership of the camp that founded it. They very early on, one of the first things they said, "We are not counting conversions because mm-hmm. we can't take credit for that anyhow. That's the Holy yeah. Spirit's work." And also, if we don't have it, that doesn't mean we did everything wrong right. either. And yeah, I think you that's be, you mean one plants and other waters, and the Lord gives yeah. the growth. And so you might be you might be the planter or the waterer, yeah. and and sometimes there's a lot of waterers along the way, and so you're you're a key piece along the way whether or not you see the conversion. And and the flip side of that is in a camp environment, there are people who make a profession of faith for whom it's not genuine and that, that they, they come back around to it later. You know, they realize that that wasn't genuine. I know people who in their, their late teens, their twenties are genuinely come alive to the Lord, but they made a profession of faith at the campfire at whatever camp. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and that's, that, that's part of the Lord's work too. You know, and some, in, in his plan, he, he used that. Yeah. But counting them, that's his business. Right. Well, I think it's dangerous too. Like just, um, I mean, the kids, they are away from what they're used to. And there is a certain vulnerability with that. And that's not just the the physical and emotional safety. There's spiritual vulnerability too. And you have to be aware of that. You don't want there to be an opportunity to to manipulate someone. Mm -hmm. You want them to, to, you want to, at least for us, we want to expose kids to who God is. You know, introduce who is it, who he is. And by learning about who God is, you should genuinely want a relationship. And then, of course, we get to expose them to the, the challenge there. The, you know, if, we can't. We can't have a relationship with God because of this you know, issue of sin. And then here's the solution that God has provided for us. And we want to teach them about that. And then ideally for us is that then we, we hook – if they don't exi- already have a church that they go to, we want to hook them up with a good church and communicate with those pastors in that church and then have that discipleship continue on. Because we get them for a week. Yeah. Where, where we see the most growth is not necessarily with our campers. It's, it's, it's honestly with our staff. We should edit right. this part out because we can't let people know about that. <laughs> yeah. But our staff, I mean, <laughs> if there's spiritual growth in a camper in a week, uh, imagine being a staff person here and uh, you, you've gotten to witness it a little bit. You're leading staff prayer first thing yeah. in the morning. All of our staff experience that every day during the summer. And then they end the day with devotions and there's chapel and Bible study. Like th- that kind of... Uh, that kind well, of exposure. And I imagine the relationships that are built. I mean, so being here at Blast, you know, this is my first time at this event and realizing this isn't just a random collection of college students who signed up for a thing. Most of the people here have have been staffers at Susquehanna at some right. point. So there's a... And those that haven't, we hoped to convince them yeah, to become... <laughs> yeah, a great recruitment tool uh, or brainwashing, whichever. You know, I don't know. I don't know. One Back the to other. the cult motif. But, yeah. Again. <laughs> but, uh, but, but seeing that and going, oh, there's a... There's a... There's a kind of a core of relationship that's built through being here for throughout a summer serving alongside one another, long hours, hard work, which props to your staffers. They work really hard. Um, 
and it shows in it's just, true. just, just in, in the way things run, it, it goes, they do an amazing job. But that, that piece is a thing I hadn't really considered kind of before seeing this and going, oh, there's, I walked into a room of friends mm. already, which speaking on friendship has, it's been great because it, they're, they're, they're kind of investing in it already rather than looking around and going, I don't know any of these people <laughs> talking about friendship here is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting you say that because when we talk about the many staff that just love Camp Susqua and come back as many summers as they can and we ask them what draws you back to camp and they have fun in their jobs but I think by far the number one answer they give us is the the community mm -hmm. like being around other people who are trying to follow Jesus together and I think it's also the attraction to working here as well because when I when I'm interviewing potential applicants, I always ask like, why do you want, you know, or what, I think I usually phrase, it, I say, what do you think you'll appreciate most about working at Susquehanna? <laughs> That's a good question. And and they'll say uh, the community almost always, you know, a few of them will say, I, you know, I really enjoy working with kids or, or you'll get the ones that are really trying to please me and say, oh, I get to be in the Bible all summer. And, but really like top dollar. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm planning on buying an Island after this. So yeah. And, uh, but the community is definitely the big draw. Now you got to tell them podcasting is where the money is. So if they're looking to buy an island, you're like, don't work here, start a podcast. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's where the right. money is. Well, that's that's why that's, we've started this podcast. Yes. That's that's. Uh, I mean, we were going to actually have Barnabas read all the sponsors prior to this, but the list was just so long today that we just put it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Show is brought to you by Glow in the Dark Now Jeans, which may or may not be toxic, but boy, are they cool. Available at the Camp Susquehanna store, susquehanna.org/store. All right. Well, now we got the promotional time out of the way. Uh, speaking of friendships and community and all of these things, which that is your topic for Blast. Um, and you had an opportunity for four speaker sessions mm -hmm. to communicate a theology of friendship. So uh, how did you tackle this? What, what was your <laughs> kind, of, kind of your starting point for this? Yeah. When we were exchanging emails about potential topics and I, you know, I threw it your way and said, is, you know, is there anything... Is there a theme? Is there anything you'd like me to speak on? And yeah. and you you had thrown out a couple options and this was – and you said, well, this is one I've been thinking about. I latched onto it readily in large part because um, – well, one, for selfish reasons. It's something I was like, I, would, I want an excuse to kind of survey the Bible and see what it says about this. I've thought about it in bits and pieces but not deeply and systematically. And then the second reason was much more – it, it scratched an itch that, that I've seen in our own church congregation, especially post uh, kind of COVID weirdness. Um, we, we have an, a, what seems like a huge number, a growing number of people who are looking to connect. You know, how do we get connected here? There's sort of a, a, a dissatisfaction with just sort of the the status quo of just sort of attendance and whatever, which I think is good. There's sort of a, there's a, there's a hunger there. Ultimately, what it seems like they're asking is, how do I make friends here? How do I, how do I build in relationship in this church? And, you know, if it's true, it's true where we are in Nashville amongst young professionals and young families. I'm like, this is, this has got to be a, a broader thing. And if it's true in the church, how much more so in the culture as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the topic resonated with me immediately. And, and so I, you know, I sent back and I said, this is great. Let's do this. And just, I started thinking through it and it, it basically, when I think about stuff like this, it's just what, what are the big questions that need to be answered? 
And I, without even studying it, I was confident that the Bible has the answers. I'm just going to have to do the work of finding them. So, and, and it was just sort of, my first question is, why is friendship so hard? We wouldn't have this, this sort of itch and ache and whatever it is if, uh, if there wasn't a persistent challenge. So, why is friendship so hard? Why is it that almost everybody at some level feels a sense of dissatisfaction in their relationships? Um, it doesn't mean that everybody's miserable, but just everybody looks at it and goes, man, this could be better. I could be a better friend. Somebody could be a better friend to me. I'm lonely. Those kinds of things. Yeah. And then... Well, then the second question is, how, well, how is friendship supposed to work? And I kind of took that in two parts. One is, what does God intend for it? What is God's design for friendship? Well, and, and also, what is a friend? Yeah. You, you spend some time on that, yeah. too. Yeah, which is, which is part of the design aspect is, you know, what how what, what is this intended to do? What is, if, what is friendship? What does God want us to get out of friendship? What does he want to accomplish through it? And then just basic kind of instructions from the Bible. And for that one, I just went to Proverbs because if you want clear instructions on how to live life well, there's not many better places to go than Proverbs. And then and then the last session is um friendship with Christ. And I and uh out of out of it's gonna be out of John fifteen. Um, Spoiler alert for anyone yeah. listening to this, when this before. When this, that's right. yeah, if, if you're Actually, editing, this is this, drop a few weeks after this. If is you're happening. editing this podcast right. before this talk tomorrow morning, um, <laughs> but looking at John 15, where Jesus says, "I no longer call you servants, but friends," and he precedes that by "Greater love has no man than this than that he lay down his life for his friends." And I just that one resonates with me, and I went there because of two things. One, it's just an open door for the gospel message. Um, the work of Christ on our behalf. And second is, categorically, I think we don't understand Jesus in terms of friend and people make one of two mistakes. There's either the sort of Jesus is my buddy, diminishing him as Savior and Lord. So, I, you, know, I, Jesus, you know, Jesus is my positivity type of thing. Or on the other hand, and I fall more into this latter camp, is the temptation to view Jesus as Savior and Lord, but, but not warm and affectionate. And so mm-hmm. to to see no he if he calls himself friend and a friend is supposed to be all of these things that the bible says it is then then I need to I need to get on board with Jesus here. So kind of really just looking at that and going what does he mean by it and what should what should we believe about Jesus because of that? And then I think when you get that dialed in in some way or not that we're ever going to short of glory but like as we understand our friendship with Jesus more, I would hope that would help us understand our our interpersonal relationships with others more mm-hmm. too. Because so I think uh, one you know one of the reasons I, I wanted this topic to be discussed is I think we um, I, I think there's a, a real crisis on our hands when it comes to friendship, especially with I, I, I start because we're a, I'm a camp director. I think youth first, but I see it in adults too yeah. for sure, especially in, you know in churches and and uh, I but with youth there's. I think we've abandoned a context for love and friendship and intimacy outside of sex. Yeah. And as a result, we've diminished friendship so much that you go straight from acquaintance to potential sex partner. Um, and I think there's, there's a wide area of wonderful, like life giving joy, affirming relational opportunities in between those two areas and we're just we're just we've skipped right by it. I think it's led to a, a whole host of of real challenges, and I think it just makes it really hard for um, a lot of relationships to happen the way they should as yeah. a result. And, and I and it, 
there's no doubt there's more isolation among our youth than ever. And the, we see the results well, of that in a, in a variety of ills, even though we have more opportunities to connect than ever. Yeah. Isolation is inevitable when you define everything by sex. Because yeah. if you are not mm. sexually active or sexually satisfied, uh, you are miserable or you are incomplete or whatever, you know, whatever you're measuring kind of your measuring stick is. And one of the things that stood out to me, I already knew this, you know, it was one of these things that I knew. And then you, then you dig into scripture and it kind of pops in a unique way is the fact that in Genesis one and two, God creates relational people. And yes, he creates people with sexuality, but it doesn't talk about that explicitly. Rather, sexuality is a reflection of intimacy rather than intimacy being the ultimate sexuality. And so that means that every person of every age is designed to be a reflection of God in relation, relationality and intimacy, friendship, familial relationships, things that are, that are giving your heart to somebody else non-sexually. Sexuality, obviously reserved for marriage, is a is an expression of intimacy that is unique, and and it's and we just turn everything backwards because of yeah. sin. Be, we being the, the culture and the, the kind of our fallen nature, so we we trend towards isolation. We we put sexuality first, and and what you end up with is is miserable, lonely people who don't have a good sense of who they are as opposed to relational people who are giving themselves to meaningful friendships, which gives us a greater sense of of belonging, a greater sense of identity, a greater sense of who God is, and then sexuality fits in its proper place, which is not first and foremost. Right. And it gives a, one minor thing, it gives a lot more dignity to single people too. Right. The yeah. s- single people, both in terms of marriage and just sexuality, if you are not sexually active, if you are not married, understanding relationality the right way means you are not diminished in the slightest. You are you, you can be fully invested in who God intends you to be. And, and I think that's why this topic is so important, not just for youth, but also for churches and for adults too. Because I, I feel like that's where one area where we, and, and I'll admit as a camp, we kind of, we joked earlier about how chill used to be the post-college adult quasi singles camp and it kind of fell apart. So we weren't really good at meeting that, those needs. And I feel like churches in general, like, you know, we're really good with the kids. We're, we're okay with like the teen and youth and college crowd. Mm-hmm. But then in college and, you know, in career kind of, but then, um, then it goes to families. Yeah. You know, then, but the, the people that are the, the people that do not follow that life path that don't immediately after college get married, they're kind of in no man's land and the opportunities they have to both serve and be served by the church is huge. But I think this, this challenge of not having a context for intimacy outside of sex or outside of marriage hurts the ability to form relationships at yeah. that stage in life. And and our churches, by and large, I'm sure there's wonderful exceptions to this all, all over, but I think by and large, this is an area where churches really struggle to uh, connect with those folks and connect them with each yeah. other. And, and the, I mean, I don't mean to get too far afield. Feel free to edit this out if it's unhelpful. By and large, the answer that a lot of churches have, especially Bible-believing churches, is, well, let's just get those people married. Right. So yeah. the the answer is not let's let's, let's recognize the inherent dignity and value of a single person who's thirty years old and unmarried who has a ton to offer the church. But rather, why isn't that person married? Let's marry them and then they fit in here, which is, you know, that not reflective of how God views those people or how our churches should function. And you know, 
marriage is awesome. M- marriage is a gift. Marriage is valuable, but it is it is not the pinnacle of existence or dignity in the eyes of God, nor should it be in the church. And one thing I have really appreciated about what you've been sharing, and you mention it in one of the, the messages, uh, that it is not just, um, it's not helpful to just think of how everyone else can be a better friend to you. <laughs> when we think of what what makes a good friend, but to do the, the hard work of self-examination and see how far we have fallen short individually. And uh, for me, that like I am squarely in that place where intimacy to, to me, um, it sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. Especially, and maybe it's just uh, the fact that I'm a guy. Um, I mean, not to indict an entire sex, but like I just feel like to think of being intimate with a male friend is... Just sounds a little weird. Yeah, frankly. saying that <laughs> sentence, being intimate with a male friend, there's probably you know, if people are listening to this, they're going to be giggling gonna a little bit and yeah. cringe. It's, yeah, but but there is opportunity for intimacy, and it's appropriate and good mm-hmm. to have that intimacy. And but we've all we've done is we've we've put intimacy and sex on the same level. Yeah. for too I mean, long. I can think of two examples from scripture off the top of my head that are male friendships that are profound examples of what they ought to be that make. American, modern American people really uncomfortable. One is David and Jonathan, where Mm -hmm. they talk about loving one another more than they love their own heart. And when they were forced to part ways because of circumstances, they wept and hugged and kissed each other. Um, That sounds very uncomfortable and homoerotic to us. It wasn't. It was just the, I mean, some of it's a cultural expression of affection. Yeah, different cultures are better at this. But they're better at it, which means we can learn from it. And and then the other is Jesus and his disciples, because they're at the Last Supper. There's a description of the disciple whom Jesus loved lying on his bosom. I mean, that's old fashioned language, but basically reclining like his arm was around him. There was there was close physical proximity because there was intimacy, there was love, there was trust. And that's not weird. We just feel really weird about it. I've learned so much about this from a few guys at our church. Um, Ray Orland, who is our founding pastor about 15 years ago. Um, this, I think it's kind of a turn that the Lord brought about in his life in, in over the last re- decade, decade and a half. Set the bar for what it looks like to be open and honest with other men, especially. He focused on the men knowing that we're the worst at it. But also, if men get this, it, it changes the culture of a church. Because women are They're generally leading the church. Yeah, and women ways, are. Yeah. yeah, there's there's leadership. There's also women are generally better at this. So that means men are the ceiling on it. Right. So if we blow the ceiling off, it's not there. And and so he said a culture. So there are guys on our staff who I'm close friends with, and I still struggle with this. Just the words don't flow out of my mouth. Who do not have a problem saying, you know, so we'll part we'll part ways on Thursday. Going to go take a couple days off before coming back on Sunday. They'll be like, all right, man, have a great weekend. I love you, brother. And they just walk, and I'm like, I, you know, it's just like it doesn't roll <laughs> yeah. off the tongue easily. The easiest thing to say is you too. Yeah. And uh, that's cheating. But, <laughs> but, but that, that is much closer to how it ought to be in genuine friendship because over and over, the Bible says, you know, love one another. A friend loves at all times. These are, and if Christ is the example, well, the gr- greater love has no one than this than laying, laying down his life for his friends. That's the defining characteristic, and it's so hard to, to say and to show appropriately. And I, I think part of the challenge 
of that too is the you know gradations of relationships we have at at what point do you break out the l word for for your brother like you're you're not going to say it to someone you've only hung out with twice yeah but it's easiest in a group so if you're yeah. with three or four guys to look at them and say i love you men is way easier than looking at one guy in the eye and saying mm. i love you that just yeah. If, if you're looking for how to sort of baby step your way into this thing, that's a good starting point. You have a small group of guys who you are tight with, you're close with, you're sharing the meaningful parts of your life. Say it collectively. It's a good way to sort of get practice in. Wait, there's a local pastor in Williamsport, Paul Brown, uh, New Life OPC. And I, I don't know when he started it, but he started the same thing where he, you know, there's no conversation that doesn't end with, I love you, brother. And I still have phone calls with him regularly and, and I'm prepared for it because I know mm-hmm. it's coming. It's still hard for me. Yeah. It's still, yeah, I do often cop out with the U2 and it's definitely easier in the groups, but I, but it's also, I tell you what, it feels good. Yeah. I, I enjoy like when the phone call ends and he says, I love you, brother. I, I know for him, he had to work at that. Yeah. To get to that point where he's saying that to me and to, and to people and the, the men he talks to. And it, I, I would love to cultivate that in the relationships I have and be able to communicate that to other people. But I, I because of my, I don't know, my dumb brain, I really struggle with that. Yeah. yeah, it's it when the Lord brings somebody into your life who's already cultivated that or for whom it just comes easier. I don't know, they're just they're just more kind of effusive people. Uh, I'm really thankful for them because they go first. And uh, it's a lot easier to follow than it is to go first on on that kind of thing. Yeah. As as weird as that sounds because it really shouldn't be that hard. But we live this side of Genesis 3 and then not quite to heaven yet. So here we are in this awkward place. Yeah, I'm wondering, and, and this will be an opportunity for your own shameless self-promotion. <laughs> so your latest book is called Belong, and yeah. it's about your church community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand I haven't read much of it. I only got it eight hours ago. But Why the, isn't it finished? It's not that long. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like you've been um, busy or something. So as you were... Thinking he, he was, through he was editing while he went through, and it just it took him a little while. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder how much overlap you found as you were preparing to talk about friendship mm-hmm. here, and something you'd already thought through with with that book, and how yeah they relate. Yeah, the I mean the whole premise of the book is what does it mean to belong to the body of Christ or the family of God. Or, you know, what there, there are two or three kind of these key images that the Bible uses. And and then what is God's design for that? The overlap was a lot. It wasn't cognizant when I set out to do this. And then I realized the, the work I had done to write that book actually set this up well. Because as a Christian, there isn't a concept for friendship outside of Christian community, which is really defined by the local church. That doesn't mean you like... We, none of us, I do not, no, I don't think any of the three of us attend the same local church. We mm-hmm. do share Christian community because our unity is in Christ. Um, and, and so, you know, friendship can be defined that way. But what, what the New Testament lays out for how a church community should work, I don't, and I, and I touched on this in one of my messages, I, I don't think we often think about that in terms of friendship. We think about that in terms of functionality of a group of people. We sort of corporate culture that. The corporate culture at this church mm-hmm. is love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. No, those are all marks of genuine, meaningful relationship, closeness, uh, ultimately friendship, except when you do it collectively, you now have a culture. And so, yeah, the 
what what it looks like to have a culture to which somebody can belong, whether that's a hurt person or a person who's been burned by the church or a person who's a brand new believer or whatever, and then and then a culture of genuine friendship are pretty much the same thing because that friendship ought to exist within a, a body of believers in a unity in Christ. Hmm. That's really inspiring because, I, I mean, I think I, I love all the different functions of the church. Mm-hmm. I love all the – like I, I – and I love like one of the, the neatest things, the church I attend, you know, a few years ago, there was only a, a handful of people and it's grown to the point where we have, you know, the volunteer list on a Sunday for all the different things we do Sunday mornings. There's like 30 people involved in making the service happen, mm-hmm. whether it's kids ministry or running the cafe or the greeters or, you know, people doing different readings. And it's really encouraging to see that. But I, and I feel like when you do that, you, you put out this really great product, uh, which is a good i'm not not to say that's a bad thing but i think it is very possible to miss the relationships yeah. in that and that is the the crucial part and if you have the if the relationship is the primary thing those other things happen but the relationship has to be at the beginning well yeah and the i mean the life of a church isn't in the event um any more than the life of a family is uh isn't in you know a big dinner there that creates an opportunity for all the meaningful stuff to happen and you have to, you know, it really helps to do it well, you know, the, the preparation and the, the having, you know, having everything ready. But the life of a church ultimately is in two things. It's the preaching of the word and and the fellowship of the believers. I mean, when the church started in its most fledgling form, that's that's what it was. They devoted themselves to the preaching of the word from the apostles and to breaking bread and prayer. So right. there's there's communion with one another and God, and there's listening to the preached word. Now, we need some organization to pull all that off in today in this day and age, but so, so yeah, you, you need a culture of relationship, which is those those one another commands kind of define it, which is not different than the culture of friendship. I think one of the, the weirdest revelations for me was realizing that I viewed my church diff- like I viewed investing in my church family differently than I did investing in my friends, even though some of them are the same people. Hmm. That's yeah. that's ridiculous. I had created a false dichotomy because I'd I friendship lived in a category that lived outside of body of Christ. I wanted to also ask because you mentioned in the beginning of the book there's I the, guess the part I that you've read. The part that I've read, <laughs> right. Uh uh I think I've read more of Ray Ortland's forward than than <laughs> your actual content. It's really good, Ray's forward was. So yeah. well done. <laughs> Uh, so there's, I don't maybe a call to worship from your church. Mm-hmm. They say essentially to all who are weary, our doors are are wide open, yeah. and it's a beautiful, poetic paragraph there. And I sympathized because you said your first reaction was that's a great aspiration yep. essentially, but they probably don't really live up to that. <laughs> and. Yes. Yet you found out that was true. What do you think was distinctive about the church? And mm-hmm. as we're thinking about friendship, the relationships in the church that made that more true than you expected. Yeah, that's it. Thank, yeah, thank you for asking that question. Yeah, so we we start every service with a call to worship. Some, you know, the, the, there'll be words on either side of it, kind of setting it up or inviting people. But it, it basically is to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort to all who fail and need strength, and to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors and her heart with a welcome from Jesus Christ. And then we then we kick, kick off the service. And 
the first time I walked into Emmanuel, I was doing my best to avoid everybody. I don't like visiting churches. I've been in church my whole life, which means I know how to navigate them just fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, and so I sat in the back corner. I was in a just a, coming out of one of the one of the hardest periods of my life was spiritually very weary. Uh, not my my faith wasn't wasn't in a bad place, but I was very cynical about um, belonging to a church essentially because I, I had been part of many and had not found a lot of vibrance and health and meaningful community. A lot of good teaching, good aspects, but really just I felt pretty dry. And they, they started the service that way. And then my reaction was exactly what, you know, what you just said. I was just like, great words. I don't believe you. That's kind of what it came down to. It was yeah. sort of a prove it aspect. And the things that I encountered, the, the experiences I had over the, the ensuing months entirely came. The, the, the difference for me was not so much in what happened up front because I'm really familiar with churches that do things well up front. Um, now, Emmanuel, I will say that there was a, there was a certain aspect in the pastors at the time of, of humility, of genuineness. They spoke of their own sins and their need for the Lord from up front. So I looked at this and I thought, okay, they're not, they're not posturing. I don't know these guys. So again, it came from people who there's a guy named Gabe. I'm just going to call him out by name because these are all positive things. And I, you know, let's let's do some positive gossip here. I'm going to talk about Gabe behind his back, who my daughters. He he probably listens to this. I'm certain he does. Everybody <laughs> listens to this. Right. If you if they're not listening, that's on them. Um, he his daughters and my daughter were in the same Sunday school class, and after a few weeks, three four weeks, he just came up, introduced himself. He was he was a he was a big outgoing personality, and uh, and he said, "Hey, I'm Gabe. You know, our daughters are in the same Sunday school class. They seem to really hit it off. We'd love to have you over sometime." And uh, how can I pray for you? This is in the lobby of the church. And you call it the Holy Spirit. It must have been because I just took a risk and told him the truth. You know, instead of being like, oh, you know, work's busy, which is whatever. If work's not busy, you're about to lose your job. So uh, that's not really a prayer request. I told him the truth about my state of life and my loneliness and my, you know, what I was going through. And he put his hand on my shoulder and prayed for me right in the middle of the lobby. And of course, I didn't close my eyes. I was watching everybody else. Like, how weird is this situation? Nobody batted an eye. They just praying in the middle of the lobby. I was like, oh, this is a church where praying for people is normal, which means, and he didn't bat an eye at me. He didn't sort of, there was none of that like eyes wide open shock kind of thing. He, he was actually honest. He wanted an honest answer. And so I was like, oh this dude's a weirdo. <laughs> then I, but what I came to realize, and so I started going to the midweek men's gathering and the same thing happened where there was just wonderful, rich teaching time, which again, I, I was kind of unimpressed by because whatever, my dad's John Piper kind of thing. Like there's just that sort of built in, like I've, I have been around good teaching my whole life. I don't mean that in an arrogant way as much as I'm just familiar with this. Then they got, then it turned and they said, okay, now we're going to do what we call walking in the light, which I thought this sounds super culty. What are we about to do? You guys know all about culty traditions <laughs> at camp yeah. that actually have significance, but they sound weird to an outsider. And basically what it means is in a small group or a pair, you get to say anything that is on your heart that is weighing you down, burdening you, a confession, a fear. And the only response from the other person is to join you in that and then say, Let's take that to the Lord together and they pray with you so that and then and then there are basically sort of instructions around it that says nothing leaves this room 
we are we are a graveyard for the sins of our brothers. So they're they are buried here and taken you know taken to the cross. So I, Dave Thomas was uh, was a guy who'd been at Emmanuel for a long time, and Dave singled me out because I was the new guy, and uh, not Dave Thomas from Wendy's. Just to clarify, different Dave Thomas. I'm a little disappointed, but continue. <laughs> yeah, me too. Although this Dave Thomas is great, and uh, and I same situation. I laid out the hardest, ugliest things going on in my life. And he just said, man, can I pray for you? And that was it. And, uh, and, and then we, we struck up a friendship. And so, you, and then within a couple of Sundays, somebody had, I, I was like, okay, I want to figure out how they do small groups here. And so I just sort of asked around and was talking to one guy who I just happened to sit in front of in, in one of our Sunday school classes or seminar classes. And, and he said, oh, you should totally come to ours. Let me introduce you to our small group leader. Uh, after, can, you, can you meet me after service? Because he's, he's playing in the band, but I'll get him. So I go stand out in the lobby afterwards and out comes Skylar and then out comes Tyler, who's the leader, which has made it easy to remember their names. <laughs> and uh, and so within a week or two, I'd fold into their group. Same situation. I walked in there, no posturing. I heard them be honest with one another, pray for one another. And so I thought, okay, well, I can risk that here. And so that became the thing where I was like, oh, this to all who are weary thing means something because they genuinely want to receive your burdens and walk with you in them to the Lord. So, I mean, those, those are a few instances, but, and, and I don't say all this to say, man, our church is so great because I, it's a thing any church can do with a willingness to, to receive honesty, to speak honestly, and then to take it to the Lord instead of trying to tinker around in people's lives and uh, so it's not, there's, there's nothing magic about it. It's just trying to walk simply and faithfully with scripture. And I'm so grateful for the the leaders who set that culture years ago. And, you know, now we get to, now we get to carry on that, that legacy and that culture. That's really inspiring. And I think, you know, that, that resonates a lot with me because it connects to, I think it was your message either today or yesterday. When one of the, one of the things about friendship though, is that it's not optional. Um, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's definitely not just about re- receiving friendship. You were talking to a group of around 50 of us or so, and you pointed out without naming names, thankfully, that there's some people that are, it's harder to be a friend with, or it's harder, harder to like, but we, we have to love them. And you're like, and if you're loving someone long enough, you will have to, that affection is going to be a part of that. And I think that's, you know, for us, I'm really glad you brought that up to all these people because most of them are our staff here. And that's how we're supposed to respond to our campers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of campers that are much harder to love than others. Yeah. But it's I'm not sure. it's not optional. Like, that, you know, that just because you've got those campers that are superstars, that are really good, they're obedient, they're enthusiastic and all that, um, those are great, but they're easy to love. It's the ones that are on the fringes, on the outside, um, that we have to be, you know, meaningful and intentional and pursue them in order to have those uh, loving friendships. And we have to develop, we, we can't just develop friendships with people that we naturally get along with or that we were in the sandbox with as kids. We have to pursue uh, relationships. And I think that's an example of a church pursuing relationships yeah. and uh, and doing it well. So thanks well, for sharing that. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about the camp situation, it's not so dissimilar from church. The people who are hard to love are the people who usually have received less love. They need it more. And I'm, I'm certain that's true amongst yeah. kids and high schoolers. Usually kids are a pain in the butt, not just because they've chosen to be difficult. I mean, some of them, maybe I was probably like that, but, but because there's a deficiency of something in their life, they are not. And so those are the people who I think Jesus would have singled out 
you know, he was accused of being, and I, I, I I didn't work this into my messages, but it is one of my favorite observations. You still have one more, so you can... And then I might get it in there. We'll see. But it's in Luke where it says they they accused him of eating with tax collectors and sinners and being a friend of them. They accused him of that, to which I'm certain Jesus would have said, yep, (laughs) indeed, because that's, you know, he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And and so, yeah, thinking about the, the unlovable among us. I'm certain those are the ones Jesus would have just sort of gravitated towards. Been like, y- you people are all right. The friendly ones, the joyful ones, you want to be here, you're invested. Like, I'll check in with you. These people who are on the fringes, who are isolated, who are making everybody mad, I'm going to give them my attention. And that's so hard. Again, personal confession for me when <laughs> we're running a program and I think of all the different things I need to prepare for the next activity or whatever. And one of the campers wants to stock, stop and talk to me and hopefully, you know, like, hopefully not stalk you, but you know, uh, well, yeah. that's a possibility. Sometimes it seems that way. Yeah. Though. And I think it's, it's, it's just always ones. there. Yeah. yeah. But, and so it feels in the moment like an interruption, yeah. but I have to remind myself like, Oh no, this is the job. Like, yeah, the, the other parts, <laughs> yes. the preparing for fun activities and stuff, that's important too. But the job is loving yeah. the campers that are in all, our care. All of those other things, just like the church service, all those other things are to set up that opportunity with yeah. that camper. But I, I, I'll confess right along with Dave too. That's, I mean, I'm, I'll often have these lengthy conversations with the the ones that I, it's like, I really want to go to talk to those other people, but it's a good this whole uh this this blast has been really great for me because it's a reminder that oh man those those guys probably need my attention more and i need to be more intentional about uh being loving and communicating that to them and developing friendships with them you know part of me thinks oh no i don't want a friendship with them but that, gospel doesn't give me that option there's no yeah. way god wa- i mean no, i shouldn't say there's no way god clearly wanted a relationship with me because he you know son died on the cross for my sins but there's no good reason for that whatsoever mm-hmm. that I can see. There, there's nothing that I've done to merit that kind of favor whatsoever. So how how in the world can I ever try to turn someone away from a, an earthly relationship like that? So uh, it's a so I, I really appreciate. It. I mean, I I brought you. You know, one of the reasons we we came here and I suggested this was was for all the the campers. But I've really benefited from hearing this. It's <laughs> well, been very convicting. Yeah, yeah, and it I, well, thank you because it it. Uh, it feels a little bit odd to stand up and talk about friendship because as I'm speaking, I'm just the same things that you guys are observing about yourselves and these sort of convictions and all of that has been true for me in preparation and is, and is true even while I'm speaking because I don't, I might, it feels a little bit like, like kind of, you know, homeschooling your kids. You just stay one chapter ahead. That's kind of how I feel like with the campers here. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm just maybe a chapter ahead. I'm just ahead of you in terms of figuring some of these things out, which is a far cry from nailing it. So, well, speaking of culty traditions that <laughs> have a lot of meaning for the folks involved in a given organization. Are we going to sing our way out of we, this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, no. So, um, we do thankfuls. Have you been exposed to our, our thankfuls tradition yet? I don't think so. I think I've just done like the, the words in the morning. Yeah. Is it similar to that? Well, that's like thankfuls anarchy. Now, I know you you have confessed that you, you struggle with pointless rules and you tend to rebel against them. Yes. Well, we're about true. to introduce a whole bunch of pointless rules. Yes. Um, so, Do I get to rebel against them? 
No, they're mandatory. Okay. Um, so every night our, our staff gather for thankfuls and where um, this is where you have to express something you are thankful for, but it's got to be specific. Okay. We don't let people off with like, oh, I had a good day. I'm thankful for a good... It's got to be what was good about that day. It's got to be specific. And it's up to the person leading the thankfuls. They're the judge, jury, and executioner. Is this adequately specific? Right. That's, they okay. will they that's will right. determine that. Okay. Um, or sometimes it's group. You know, the group might be ah, oh, boo, that's not good enough. Um, it's got to be unique. <laughs> okay. So you want to go first if you're in a large group. Yep. Um, it's got to be unique. It's got to be from the last 24 hours. It's got to be that recent. Uh, and part of that's intentional too, because like even if you've had a really bad day, yeah, this is a good practice to be like, it wasn't that bad. There was something yep. we can find things to be thankful for, even in the midst of it. Why? Well, I, I mean, I I got in the habit several not derailing this very much in the vein. Um, I got in the habit a few years ago at the council of a of a, one of the elders at our church when I was really struggling with doubt and cynicism, of each morning writing down at least three things that I am thankful for. Yeah. So even in the worst circumstances of life, there's. I mean, it might be it might be coffee. Yeah. Some yeah. mornings it's it's coffee and two other things. Some mornings it's a phrase out of a Bible verse, but yeah, same same premise of even on the worst days, there are definitive things to be grateful for. You'll have to listen to the episode that'll air before this episode because okay. we uh, who you met today are Tamron Tim Bryan, who is a uh, family therapist. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about the psychology of gratitude and and how important that is and how it's not. I mean, I think Christians we had a leg up on this because we uh, scripture clearly tells us how important it is to be thankful. Yeah, um, but. The rest of the world's catching up to us and realizing, oh my goodness, this is really important for building proper channels for the chemicals in my brain to go through so I feel better about things is recognizing those good things. Yeah. Uh, did I get all the rules, Dave? Yeah. I mean, uh, you can pass and we isn't, come back isn't to you there, but the, isn't in a there, small group like this. It's isn't the, there like uh, a, a group chant at the end? I heard somebody do it at a table. Yes. Uh, is that part uh, of that the rules? We, we've not done that in the, the podcast there thus is, far. There's a call and response that is the most culty thing we do. Um, and Ooh, I'll, I'll shout out... Boy, that's a high bar. That, yeah. <laughs> I'll shout out... This is Todd Letcher uh, started this back in the early 90s when he was leading Thankfuls one day. And at the end of Thankful, he said, it's good to be thankful. And someone else said, and thankful we shall be. And that has become a call and response now that we, we use. And it's... Um, yeah, it's weird. Okay, yeah. but that's not that's not an obligation. I, I, we have not formalized I mean, that as a rule. I'm not looking around at everyone's mouths to make sure they're saying it. So okay, that's more of a an opt. You you get to do that. That's you want to. That's exciting mm. and fun. Okay, maybe. But maybe. we weren't planning to do that as okay. a part of the. Let's maybe not we will. plan to do that. I was no. just curious. It was a thing that I <laughs> yeah, heard, and I and, and I'm, I'm like that goes with this. I think. Okay, it does. But yeah, good good uh good ears that you, okay. you picked up on. Yeah. Well, Are so with question? with all of that uh, to be said as the foundation chief Barnabas, <laughs> what are you thankful weird thing for? You do. Um, well, I hope this passes the specificity test. Um, I am particularly thankful that my wife Lauren gets to travel with me when I speak uh, for a whole variety of reasons, but particularly because there is no accountability like the person who knows you best listening to you. And either giving you feedback on how you can improve or verifying that you are not, in fact, going off the rails. So she's she's great to have along as my wife and as the person I enjoy spending the time with the most. But but to be able to speak and look out and see, OK, I'm I'm not off the rails. And she gives verification and really helpful feedback. 
That passes muster, I think. Well, I mean, it's yeah, up to date. So. Yeah. Well, so the traveling itself happened more than 24 hours ago, but I'm assuming you had some kind of similar conversation Well, well but she's, she's here. She is traveling a, with yeah, you. This I'm is still traveling. That's yeah. true. This, yeah, you, you're still traveling. Fair. Well, so. Yeah, the, the thankfulness is particularly for her presence for speaking. In the last 24 hours. I, yeah, <laughs> which I have done in the last 24 hours. And uh, so, yeah, that, that particular aspect, I enjoy traveling with her everywhere, but that, that would be too general, I'm sure. Wow, you follow those rules really well. I'm Martin trying. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, to be really good and transparent and community-oriented about this, Dave, um, let's put this to us too. So, Dave, what are you thankful for? Yeah. I'm just really thankful for our blast campers and the the fun that I get to see them have. Like so many young people that love Sesqua and are excited to go do a photo scavenger hunt and take a bunch of random pictures in downtown Williamsport, uh, which is going on as as we record this. Like that's just uh, a <laughs> really a neat... like parents sending their kids outside to play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, a little bit. But you also enjoy seeing your kids play. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, it, it's been really fun to witness that. If my kids are outside playing this long, it has evolved into a fight. So, I hope that they have not similarly... <laughs> But that's that's good, Dave. I, I mean, I, that was a little general because you said blast campers in general. I, I'm specifically which blast campers. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have to be thankful for just one. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the fact that he landed on photo scavenger hunt, I think that. I mean, I, I'm I haven't done this enough, but that sounded fairly specific. Yeah, you got the gist of this. Okay. You're you're doing well. I, I will. Uh, I will. I will share a thankful myself. I am always thankful for the opportunity to go to Rock Run. Uh, and today I was able to take uh, Barnabas, uh, Lauren, and my family up to see Rock Run, which is the p- prettiest stream in, I'll just say it, the world. Um, no bias here. Objectively the prettiest. Um, and not only do we get to go up to Rock Run, uh, I'm also very thankful that the – this is not an additional thankful. This is part of it. That our vehicle stayed on the road in the icy, slushy, and muddy conditions. It's good to be thankful. And thankful we shall be. For more information about Camp Susquehanna, visit our website at susquehanna.org. Thanks for joining us round the campfire this week. We'll see you next time. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We were wandering and lost in our father. even managed to kind of help Barnabas through some of his rebelliousness here. So. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a tall task. Do, doing some good work with this podcast. Are we going to end the podcast with Unthankful We Shall Be? Is that like <laughs> this, that the sign off? <laughs> yeah. All right. That was good. Well, thanks. That was fun.